Hello, Jay here. If I could ask, could you give us a little five-star rate in Apple Podcasts? Go on, please. It won't take long. You can just do it now. That'd be lovely. And share the podcast. Tell your friends. Appreciate it. And on today's show, we're talking to the legend and the awesome David Martin, one of the founders of Ocean for All Foundation. Oh, and the Phuket Tennis League. Originally from France, so we should give him his real name, David Martin arrived in Phuket 21 years ago. David had travelled the world diving and writing dive guidebooks before he ended up here in Phuket. He tells us all about sharks, what is coral, and tells us that 99% of people in the world need to know more about the ocean to help save this precious ecosystem. So basically... Go tell your friends to listen to this podcast. David is awesome. He is a super, super, super nice guy. I was fascinated by this chat. I didn't know he knew that much about sharks. I didn't know all the stuff that he's done filming sharks. I'll let you listen to the podcast, but it's a goodie. We like David. He's sharktastic. Oh, I could say jawsome, couldn't I? I should have said that. We like David. He's jawsome. See what I did there? Mmm, nice. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, fella. How you doing? No, it's not about you. It's never about me. It's about our lovely guest, David. David Martin, that's yes, right, isn't it? Yes, correct. Or should I say it in the French, yeah. it's Martin? David Martin. Oh, David Martin. Yes. And where are you from? Bonjour. From France. From France? Yeah, yeah. And my first question is, when did you get to Phuket? I arrived in Phuket in 2000, 21 years ago. Wow. Yeah, I've been in 21 years. Is that the longest we've had? Possibly, quite possibly. Well, you're for a medal soon, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> That's how old I am. <laughs> be, up for, be up for parole soon. You're only, you're only 22. You uh, yeah, really yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm born here. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was the reason you came here in 2000? I came here to open the dive center at Club Med in Qatar. Oh, wow. Yeah. You're a Club Med boy? Yeah. Had you done that before? Yeah, I'm a diving instructor, so... That's how I start my job when I was 18, so. Wow, I love Club Med. Have you ever been on a Club Med, Russell? I have, but not when we were kids, yes. Mm. The one in Bali, the one in Malaysia, I think. Well, check you out, your posh Club Meds in Bali and Malaysia. (laughs) When did you start? So 18 you started? No, no, I became a diving instructor when I was 18. And I work in Club Med, Maldives, Thailand for about 10 years. So at 18 you became a dive? Instructor. instructor in Whereabouts in France were you growing up? Obviously on the uh, coast. I'm born near Paris. No, no, no. Oh. And I grew up in the middle of France, in the mountains. Yeah, in right. Mass- so Massif. The obvious connection was I want to dive. <laughs> yeah, and uh, say in the middle of mountains and cows and uh, yeah, and I wanted to dive since I was since I remember since uh, actually sharks is my true passion. Since I'm six or seven years old, all I want to do is think, do things with sharks. Hence the so tattoo. sharks bring, yeah. yeah. Sharks bring me to uh, to diving, and then. Uh, yeah. Where did you learn to dive when you were living in the middle? I of learned pa- to dive in a small town next to the time I was living in the middle of the mountains in the swimming pool, and then we were going to a lake, and then I passed my certification with the French Federation of Diving at that time, and then at 18 I become uh, I passed my paddy instructor license, and then I I left France. I was 17 actually. I I cheated on my <laughs> ID card, and uh, and I left to work in Greece when I was 17 as a tennis coach. Whereabouts? I was David, uh, David, not David, who, who was a tennis? David Lloyd. Yeah, but who were you working for in Greece? I was working in a hotel in an Italian resort as a tennis coach when I was 17. So that's long, long, 80, 1988. Wow. <laughs> so you're playing tennis before? Cause we're yeah, gonna, I, wa- cause I, wa- you- I was playing tennis as a kid in France. I was quite good. And I, I went in a tennis academy but all I wanted to do was diving. I never wanted to do or trying to do a tennis professional. I remember in the 
the rooms, all the other kids, they have Borg and McEnroe posters and I have Sharks posters in my room already. So when I was 17, I found that job in a tennis resort uh, in Greece. Uh, so I left school, my parents let me go. Uh, they give me, okay, you want to try, you go. And I left France at 17, I went to Greece, work as a tennis coach and with the money, then I went back to pass my instructor exam for diving instructor. Ah. You got brothers and sisters? Yeah, one brother, older. Oh, older? Okay. Yeah, yeah, he lives in France. And, yeah. Okay. So what were your parents like at, at 17? You're, you're just saying, no, I don't want to go off and be a doctor, a lawyer, an architect. No, or well, they I actually, yeah, thanks my parents because they were open-minded and said, okay, you go, you try. It doesn't work, passion, you right? can still yeah. come back, you know. They knew, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to go there to make money, six months on a season in a resort teaching tennis, and with that, pay for my instructor license and become a diving instructor. And after that, I start to work in the Maldives and Red Sea. And every year I was changing contracts well, as a well, diving instructor. Let's oh. track back because that's OK. So it's similar to what I was doing, although I was teaching sailing, you were doing the, yeah. the diving. So it's kind of summer contracts and then winter contracts mm -hmm. and you're going. Yeah. So when you first started, where was the, <coughs> the first resort you went to for the diving? For the diving, Red Sea. OK. Red Sea, yes. And what was that like as a, <coughs> a first time diving instructor? It was instructor? cool. It was, uh, you know, first, first job. I mean, first job as a diving instructor. Mm -hmm. uh, Red Sea in Orgada for, at the Sheraton. Uh, it was good. It was an Italian dive center. Uh, at that time, because I work in an Italian resort as a tennis coach, I speak fluently Italian. So I, I went into the Italian market for diving super easy. And um, yeah, I started to work as a diving instructor in Red Sea, uh, then Maldives. Then uh, Zanzibar, then Zanzibar. Is that a real yeah. place? Yes. Yeah, it's a real place. I always thought that was just a, <laughs> like a story. It's where Freddie Mercury is born. Yeah. Ah. Farouk Balsara. Yeah. Well, Russell. That's Are you name. a diver, Russell, before you have your little syrup of your lemon juice? I can uh, dive, yes. I'm not an instructor. But you went recently to the Similons. Similons, yeah. Mm. Anyway, we'll get to you in a minute. Nice. But it's not about me. Mm. No, it's not about you. But let me tell you about that trip. <laughs> <laughs> Had you, um, when you got to 2000 and you thought, right, I'm going to come to Asia, had you been to Asia before that? No, well, before here, I was in the Maldives. Okay. okay. I was working in the Maldives as a diving instructor and the island I was working on was sold. And at that time, I, I started to write a book on sharks. So after the Maldives, I traveled around the world. I finished in, uh, in Mexico, in, in Baja, to finish to write my book, who was published in 2000 in, in uh, Tucson, Arizona. Yeah. my book on sharks and from there uh, they called me here in Clamet to open the diving operation here right hold on <laughs> let's break this down step by step I don't know where to go with that hold on you wrote a book about sharks yes what was the sharks for your eyes only that was the name of the book <laughs> cool what wanted you to what was the reason for writing a book because I wanted to show I want it was a, a, a guide book where you could choose by a bit what internet can do today but on the book you can choose the species of sharks you want to see and where you can see it. So there was right, a guidebook, okay. like a... Like a pub guide yeah, in the UK. You know, you know, yeah, exactly. Where to go and yeah, exactly. down what they yeah, are. Yeah, and yeah. So by species, the season, where, and which dive center in New Zealand or Australia, or whatever. So it was a guidebook, which was sold in all the dive center, dive shops in, in, uh, in USA. So it was uh, quite good. So they call it a semi-bestseller, 12,000 copies. Have you, oh. there's a place, I, I think it's in the Bahamas, I could be wrong, um, well there's lots of tiger sharks. Yes, Tiger Beach. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, what, yeah, but, yeah but where is it in the Bahamas? Or? It's north of the Bahamas, north, um, it, you go there on the liverboard, there's yes. a lot of yeah, sharks, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of shark feeding and shark diving in yeah. the Bahamas, okay. very famous, yeah. Right, okay. Cool. So a friend of ours, she was on that trip that I went to, to the Simulans, she's a, an underwater photographer, and she showed us some, some of the pictures with the tiger sharks. And she said it was the most terrifying experience. She just everyone's sort of there, just on their knees, just taking pictures, not moving. Just <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very zoo-like in the Bahamas because it's very clear water, no current sand, yeah. and they feed for years and years and years now. So the sharks are coming and they don't care about you. They feed and they go and they come back. I mean, it's like very, very easy and uh, man-made, but still very, very good yeah. to show that sharks come for the bait, yeah. don't care about the divers. You yeah. know, that's why it's good, yeah. you know. In the year 2000, as you said, there wasn't much internet going around at that point. How did you five. get the information that for this dive, or for the shark book? Well, so we internet and all the people I knew yeah. diving about sharks. I was already 
Back uh, in the 90s, you know, we used libraries. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what? Library and library. Never heard of a library. <laughs> you mean bibliotheque. Yeah, yeah. yes. But I'm right. yeah. Bibliotheque, yes. No, but emails and stuff already, already. Yeah. But why did you then choose to launch in Tucson, Arizona? Because it's not a cowboy yeah. because, because I was in... Uh, in um, Mexico. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I was in La Paz. Okay, I was living in... I went back to the Maldives, out, finished the book there in La Paz, in, in Baja, and I looked online to find an editor, you know, and I find one in Tucson, Arizona, that was doing on-demand editing books. Basically, a bit more expensive, but you don't have to pay in advance for 20,000 copies. You pay when the people order the book. Right. So that was the best, of, it was perfect for me. Mm. We edited the book, they make the, all the, the correction of the book, everything, make the cover and everything, and then we sold it in all the dive shops, and when they order, they print. So it was print on order, so which was perfect. And I'm, I'm assuming the book's in English? Book's in English, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that about you. Yeah. <laughs> there we go, you see. <laughs> wow. So, so if, anyone, if anyone wants to buy the book now, where can they go? I don't think it's reprinted. That was in 2000. I mean, it's right. Well, this 20 Russell, years we'll ago. find a copy. We, we will find a copy. We'll, we'll rewrite Actually, it. I only have one copy for myself. Oh, no way. Yeah, I have only one copy. But That's I wrote other book after that, but this one I have only one copy. And have you have you written other books? Yeah, another one last year here for the foundation. Yeah. There we go. We'll come on to that. We'll come on to that. <laughs> um, so Club Med... It's in Blue yeah. Tree in the shop. I don't go to the shop in Blue Tree very often. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. I'll edit that bit out. I love the shop at Blue Tree. You're right. I, I think his books are made of all that. Tina will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so the Club Med... Gave you the call, that's, that was it, to get you to Thailand? Yeah, I mean, here, they, they, they wanted to open the diving operation. There was no diving here in Clement. In Clement, was already existing. So I came here to open a diving operation here, which I run for about four or five years. And then my second half kind of job, which was filming sharks, become more and more and more. And then I left Clement because I had to decide if I continue to be a dive center manager instructor or if I go into filming and I went into filming and uh, filming sharks yeah yeah which is that's my specialty yeah. okay yeah, yeah. in terms of the and I'll, I'll be careful with this because we are obviously based in Phuket but in terms of the places that you have been and dived um, coming to coming to, to Phuket coming to Thailand how did you sort of bench that compared to other places that you've been well, every pla I mean, purely from a diving perspective. Yeah, you know, when you have a lot of dives and when you, it's a lot of people ask me, where's the best place you dive? And it's all about what you want to see and where. I mean, if you ask me the best, Maldives is beautiful, Thailand mm. is beautiful, uh, Bali, Indonesia, the Caribbean, they're all beautiful. If you have five dives, you go there, you go down and you come back with your eyes like this. Mm -hmm. Now, if you ask me, where would you go to film humpback whales? Where would you go to film tiger sharks? Mm. Then I can tell you, for me, the best place to film or to see tiger shark up close, because if it's uh, 50 meters from you, you won't, you see a tail, yeah. nothing. Yeah, yeah. So then I can tell you an exact place. But apart from that, every tropical place is good for diving. Sure. Yeah, I learned to dive in the Med, and it wasn't very exciting, I have to say. And the Med has its part, you know, Mediterranean is very known for wrecks. Mm. So wreck diving in the Med is nice but it's cold you know you get winter you got so you know warm waters make it easier because you can dive all year round yeah you can go to uh, Polynesia you can go to Hawaii I mean, you know so that makes diving very fun you when know. you were doing your your filming so you was obviously filming on the side while you was teaching diving yes, as yeah, well yeah. and that was just a little hobby to start with and then well, it kind of grew I started when I was in the Maldives so I was like uh, 19 20 I, I had these uh, I knew uh, there's a place in my first experience in filming was in Nicaragua. In Nicaragua, there is a lake and in that lake, there are freshwater sharks. And I always wanted to be there, the first one to go there and film those sharks, which I went when I was 20 something. That was my first filming experience, which never went on any documentaries, never, because I went to do some rush. I get lost in the forest there. I get stuck with an Indian tribe for like two months. and. But it was... What? You can't, <laughs> just, can't just whisk it away like that. Well, I mean, it doesn't matter, but... Uh, <laughs> no, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. What did you say you got lost with an Indian tribe Well, I went months. to Nicaragua. Nicaragua have two coasts, Pacific and, and uh, Atlantic. Atlantic, the Caribbean. And in the middle, there's a big lake called Cosibolca, the name, the local name, but it's the Lake Nicaragua, which is almost the entire country. 
If you look at Nicaragua, you have the land yeah. and the lake in the middle. And that lake communicates with the river, the uh, San Juan River, the Rio San Juan, to the Caribbean. And many, many years ago, the Cousteau team, in one of their books, that's how I know, in one of their books, they talk about the bull shark. Bull shark mm. is one of the sharks that goes in fresh water. So you have bull sharks in the Mississippi rivers, in the Ganges River, in the um, Lake Victoria in Africa, in, in Queensland, a lot of places. And the Calypso went into the entrance of the Rio San Juan, trying to go up the river. They couldn't, this, so they didn't do anything, but they talk about it. So when I read this when I was a kid, I remember I went to Paris in the Bibliothèque <laughs> of, uh, what was the name? Uh, like um, uh, the FAO, a food organization, agricultural organization. They have a big uh, library in Paris where you have all the books on every fish, every plant and everything. And I find a lot of uh, documentation on the Lake Nicaragua, those freshwater sharks. So I went to see a TV in France, Canal Plus. I don't know if you heard about yeah, Canal yeah, Plus. Yeah. And I say, oh, I have this idea. So they give me a small HI8 camera. I say, okay, go there, do some rush and come back. So I went there, I paid my ticket, I went to Nicaragua. And so I saw, I never been able, I went, I jumped in the water. I didn't see any shark because the water was like <laughs> Panga Bay, you know, you, you know, it's a, you know, and, but I saw sharks on, it was lot, uh, it was a dry season in the river. So I saw sharks with the fin out swimming up river like salmon, like this to go in the river. And I speak with some people, marine biologists at that time there, and apparently the freshwater the bull sharks go up that river to go in that lake because they feed on a, a species of uh, sawfish, pristis pristis in Latin, you know, those big fish with the saw, which is also from the sea and goes, goes to the lake for mating and the shark, the bull shark loves to feed on, on those ah. sawfish. So this is all the story. So that's where I had my first experience in documentary and film and, and I loved it. And after that, I got things with BBC, Nat Geo, Netflix. Um, Netflix came here a few years ago to interview me. I've done, I'm on, if you go on Netflix, you see me. Yeah, cool. I, I hope I was about to mention if I no. go on Pornhub, but that we, we were <laughs> so um, so yeah, they I, came here. But you got so you didn't even mention, but you got lost with a tribe, or you you ended up with an yeah. Indian when tribe? I was there, I was on the Rio San Juan, and uh, and then I lost myself. I was lost. I didn't know where to go, and there was this uh, those people called the Miskitos, a tribe from uh, from Nicaragua on the Caribbean coast, and I had no money, nothing left, so. I stayed there until I can had food and this, until I found a fishing boat going up the river, back to, and it took a month or something. Yeah, but it was, I was 21 years old, who cares? I mean, you know, it's... <laughs> That's <it was> amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. Bull sharks are quite dangerous. Actually, number one, mm. number one, which will have some, every two years there's one attack here. Mm. Every time they call me. Every time, are you, yeah. the, are you the reason? Yeah. Are they no, following no, you? The, the, the you marine the department called me the when they shark whisperer? It's a, it's are you telling them to? No, it's that. I tell them that is a shark. They ask me <laughs> from the... I can show you pictures from the bites here every yeah. two years. Yeah, yeah. I honestly, I am... Last one was in Kaolag, the German guy, last year, just before Covid. I in this didn't water. realize yeah. you were such a shark expert. That's I've known bag. you for a few years. Yeah. In fact, we were just saying, because you met mm. Russell yeah. and, and we played football together years and years ago. I didn't realize this is fascinating. Yeah, keep going. I got more. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm enjoying the ride here. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. So then you started your the filming stuff. So you, yes. had, you had enough of kind yeah. of club med, which is holiday. The, the, the thing the is that in the filming industry, there was I had the chance to be uh, in South Africa where they film. Uh, a part of Blue Planet. I don't know if you remember Blue yeah. Planet. Okay. I absolutely adore so Blue Planet. I was on Blue Planet in South Africa when they, when they filmed the Sardine Run, which is the, yeah, all yeah, those yeah, sardines yeah, and yeah, all yeah, the fish. Yeah, yeah. So I was there. So after that, I, I started to sell. The filming industry before 2007, before the crisis, was very different. Every big production was sending people for months and months to film. Uh, Blue Planet took five years. Yeah. And the BBC was sending crew Everywhere on the world for three, four, five months during the sardine run, every month they were changing 10 people of crew. So a lot of money in that. 2007 hits. Gone. Money gone, no one. So from that time on, documentaries are made from buying stock from people like me. So when uh, Netflix or any, any, they want to do a documentary on, I don't know, eagles, polar bear, whatever, what they do. 
they contact the guy who, has, who is specialized in polar bear filming or eagle filming or whatever animal, and they buy stock and then they create the, the, the documentary. Okay. That's how it happens now. So now you have freelancers like me who are specialized in one kind of animal or in one behavior. So I know, for example, okay, uh, Netflix is doing, so on Netflix, uh, two years ago, they've done Earth, documentary called Earth. Mm, yeah. And after that, they call Night on Earth, who came out last night, last year, Night on Earth. You can see it on Netflix. Mm. So Night on Earth, they are, they, they con I knew they were doing this, so I filmed from them the whale sharks at night in the Maldives and then the gray reef sharks in French Polynesia. I know what they need, I know where to get it. I go, I film, I sold my two, three minutes. That's how it works now. Oh. That's how it works. So now I travel the world filming, knowing a little bit who's doing what, or oh, you need this, or sometimes they call me, oh, do you have two minutes of this behavior sharks or tiger sharks? If I don't, if I have it in store good, if I don't have it, I know where to get it. What time, what's the best, best season, best visibility, so this is what I do now. This might sound like a silly question, but how much do you know or study or get ingrained in with the actual behaviors of sharks themselves? And follow-up question, how much variance is there, if any? Sharks is very easy. It's a fish. Yeah. It's not a mammal. Yeah. So there's two things that generate the life of a fish. Mating, feeding. Food. That's yeah. it. Food and reproduction. That's the only two things. So whatever you want to do, or whatever you want to understand about their behavior, it's always around those two things. So you want to film sharks, you need to bait. If you don't bait the water, no shark will come ne near to a human. It doesn't happen, only in movies. Yeah, yeah. So all the footage you see on documentaries about sharks, this is all because we've been feeding, baiting for, you, for days and days, and then the shark come close to human, and then you can film. That's the only way. It's all about that. It's not. Same about me. <laughs> Mating <laughs> food. That's all I need in life. Yeah, I'll be happy with that. You are a fish, mate. Yeah, they they, they call you the shark for a reason. <laughs> um, I'm fascinated, and I, I honestly didn't know that, and I'm so pleased that we've had this conversation because I didn't realise that. You I would did love that. to do the. I'd love to go diving with whale sharks. Yeah, that would beautiful. be awesome. Really, whale sharks don't interest me. You, uh, I think just more for the like the biggest fish on the planet. Yeah, just for that. And if only yeah, for that. For that start. I'm not going to go and catch up with the biggest lady on the planet just because yeah. she's the biggest lady on yeah. the planet. <laughs> I would rather go for the hot, fit, great white. Yeah, true. So, do you yeah, have but a You favorite? might live to, f to see Oof. another one if you went for the whale or shark. You might not if you went for the great white. Great whites, they're fine. <laughs> do, you, do you have a favorite shark? Not really, but the one I filmed the most. The, the most stock footage I have is from tiger sharks. That, that was, yeah. that Tigers and bull sharks. Yeah, I film a lot of bull sharks and is that in Mozambique. They're easier to film, or you know where they no, are. No, because uh, you see, every year I go for the last twenty years. I go in, in South Africa and Mozambique. I do what I call my shark route. That's where I do my. I redo my stock footage for about two, three weeks. I go from Mozambique all the way to Cape Town on the Indian Ocean coast, and in two, three weeks, I can film more than almost 10 species of sharks. So you're just updating so, yeah. your content yeah, yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's right. fascinating. Yeah. I like your job. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not we, really a job. I mean, but, it, it, but you're still playing. Let's get back to Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not really a job. It's a life yeah, choice. Well, it, so it's, it's, it's a great. I mean, it's a it's passion that turned into a job because people buy footage, documentaries, and you can yeah. sell them. I mean, it, it's, it's not really. It's uh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And you're still playing tennis during this time. Yeah, I always loved tennis, so tennis was always... And that a was just a hobby, it was... Yeah, yeah, of course. Of just sorry, going back to the diving, when you, when you are on your travels doing all of your filming, yeah. is it just you, or do you have a, a crew, well, Depends. Team, Usually I bring people with me, mm -hmm. friends, so they can see and do something different than uh, just... A, are you digging for an invite, Russ? Fuck yes. <laughs> board and, uh, and I invite, yeah, friends, yeah. And yeah. It's, it's, it's good because he reduced the cost of the, my traveling. Sure. So, yeah, of course. So I go every year in South Africa in February every year. I go to film humpback whales and grey sharks in Tahiti every year in September. Um, yeah, see whales, you haven't mentioned dolphins, which I'm pleased about. <laughs> Sorry? You obviously don't like dolphins. No, no, I like dolphins. Oh, damn yeah, it. I like dolphins. I'm trying yes. to find someone else who doesn't like dolphins. <laughs> no, dolphins are Idiots. Dolphins are cool. No, no, are they? Cool, cool. Mm, I'm not sure about that. Um, when did the Oceans for All, and that's what, yeah. you know, that's really why uh, what you're doing, oh. it's a passion of yours, but when of did course. that all start? Oceans for All started uh, almost three years ago um, because 
in Thailand, every time you want to do something for ocean conservation, you have to do it with the government. Uh, anything to do with the ocean, the sea, the corals, everything, you have to go uh, to the marine department or over there. And every time you do that, there is always what is Thailand all about, is always someone wants money yeah. for something. It's always like this. There's a lot of so, envelopes. So, so that's the reason uh, Oceans for All non-profit organization started, because I was tired of always having those issues when I wanted to do something for the ocean. And then with Thibault, the co-founder, we registered the foundation. It took a lot of time. Paperwork in Thailand is difficult. Imagine to have a non-profit licensed mm -hmm. foundation. It was, but we managed it, so we started. And then I had those projects always in my mind to do shark breeding. You know, for example, the shark breeding uh, Thailand became known 20 years ago uh, because of the lepa shark yeah. or the zebra shark. It has two names. That shark was the only place in the world you can dive with guarantee. 20 years ago, when you come here, you go to a dive center who was planning to go to Shark Point, they will tell you, if you don't see a leopard shark, we refund your money. Yeah. They were seeing a leopard shark four or five on every dive. Mm. Today, they see four or five per year. So the leopard shark has always been the icon of the diving industry in Thailand, but it's so ironic it's not protected. The only shark protected in Thailand is the whale shark. <laughs> leopard shark, you can kill them, fish them, eat them, no one will tell you anything, even mm. though it's the icon of the, that industry. So uh, that was one of the projects, to breed leopard sharks and to, to repopulate the reef. So, so what I'm hearing is, so you, you're frustrated that you wanted to help the oceans, but the government, was, that there was an issue. With, with not an issue. It took so much effort and time not being legitimate. Not gotcha. being, now, not because we are a non-profit organization. When we do something, we have something, they collaborate right away. There is no questions of... Do you make money out of this? No, we don't. We are non-profit. So, so that's take out this out of the way, which is yeah. a huge thing in and, Thailand. And then you're saying, and so the, the first concept, and I'm just trying to work out in your, your mindset, you're thinking, do you know what? Leopard sharks or zebra sharks, they're called zebra sharks because yeah. they're striped yeah. when they're born yeah. and then they yeah. get spots yes. when they get to adults. I know my leopard sharks. Um, you out. I know. Well, I'm a bit of a shark fan, yeah. <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> you kind of have to be. Yeah, you have to be, yeah. <laughs> um, was the breeding of the shark really the, the catalyst to, to get the foundation No, because going? I had many projects I wanted to do here. Uh, the coral farming, the, 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 the catamaran to clean the, 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 the water in front of the, of the shore. There was many projects I always wanted to do and finally can do with the foundation. Yeah, yeah. So it's another silly question. From the breeding perspective, are you just putting two in a tank and saying, Knock yourselves out or so show them a movie, maybe? Nice What happened is that so at the, we collaborate with the PMBC, the Phuket Marine Biological Center. Is that the one Panua, down yeah. in Panama by the, the original so aquarium? Over there, we already have breeding of bamboo shark, which we release every three, four, five months. And in the aquarium, they had a female leopard shark. So we, I wanted to find a way to find a male, put with the female, and wait nature to happen. Is there Tinder and for sharks? Shinder? <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 <laughs> so, yeah, that's wrong. You're, you're getting it. Yeah, 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 be careful with that one. So we got, uh, we got, a t uh, we knew, we found out there was um, on the east coast of Phuket near, um, uh, near, how do you call it? You know, near Board Avenue, Royal Phuket Marina. If you go that, down to, the, the to Phuket, and there is a lot of floating seafood yeah, restaurants. Yeah, yeah, lamb they have a, yeah. a cut on their deck with a yeah. some net and have some fish. And one of them had a leopard shark. Ah, okay, yes. No way. Yeah, so we went there and I look and it's a male. But uh, he has all the right to keep it there. They're not protected. So we contact the owner through some Thai families. We offer money to buy, to rent, to keep it for mating, give it back, nothing, nothing, nothing. And we spoke with the, at that time, the Admiral of the, the Admiral of the Navy station. And we talked with the different people. And finally, they went to get it. They called us, oh, we got the shark where you want it. So we put it in PMBC. We keep it in quarantine for 40 days to see if there was no injuries, no disease. It was all fine. We called, we, we named it. Uh, someone, which means hope in Thai. We put it in the big tank with the female. Is that the in the aquarium? Yes. Itself, the one where you, the, the, the little tunnel that you yes, walk through. Yes, yes. Yeah, now yeah, you yeah. see two sharks, yeah, yeah, yeah. a male and a female, and I often go there and see. So you have uh, mating bites and this, and the female start to make eggs. There was 
five eggs last August, uh, which are not fertile, which is a regular thing in, in shark. 500 species of sharks, a bit more. Almost all the sharks are uh, viviparous, like mammals, they make live babies, and a few are oviparous, they make eggs. The leopard shark make eggs. That's why most of the aquariums, they have benthic sharks, sharks living on the bottom, benthic, which are bamboo sharks, leopard sharks, they make eggs. So a lot easier to breed and to keep mm. putting them in the aquarium. So and the idea is to have those two sharks mating, eggs, six months, the eggs open, we keep the baby shark like they do for the turtles, and then yeah. we release the baby shark when they are a bit grown to give them a, them a more advantage to the to nature and release them the same way the, the little turtles but with the shark this is the project and how often do the leopard sharks have a bit of yeah. hanky panky have fun and it's difficult to know very difficult to know but the female she does now eggs uh, in the last year she's done eggs every four or five months they're not fertile yet so we didn't have one egg with an embryo yet only the yolk uh, which is called test egg in sharks um, and hopefully one day an embryo will be formed and we will have the first one but uh. see I love that aquarium one and they've done it we went there recently took the kids there and um, they've done it up really done yeah. it up nicely yeah. I love it because it's it's not the biggest aquarium in the world mm. it's not you know the most beautiful but for the price you pay yeah, yeah, yeah. and for the information yeah. you get sure, sure. and you actually you're seeing stuff yeah, that and yeah. they've got fish down there that I've got in my fish tanks at mm. home mm. which is very cool to yeah, see yeah, yeah. no I like it down there Good. Bamboo sharks then, because you do a lot of, you yeah. release those. So where are you making yeah. those little bad boys? Well, in the PMBC, because at the aquarium they have bamboo sharks to see. Mm. And bamboo sharks mate a lot, reproduce a lot. So they have too much to keep for them. So <laughs> we help them and we make an event. We do a charity at the beach on the boat and this for the foundation. And people can adopt uh, baby bamboo sharks and release them by themselves and like like the turtles at the Mario, exactly the same way. So bamboo sharks are a bit like rabbits, whereas the uh, leopards are a little bit more like pandas. Yeah, it's more they, they reproduce a lot more. Yeah, yeah. a lot more. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I was going to use a completely different analogy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of Patong and Bangla Road, but let's not let's not go down that path. <laughs> let's not go down that road. So. Um, We'll get into the tennis in a little bit, but I'm actually more interested in the in the oceans for all stuff. Uh, you, you don't just release sharks either. You do other stuff. Uh, you, you mentioned growing coral and cleanups. Just what are the, some of the things that you're doing? So the, actually the main project of the foundation, the reason we cr I created the foundation is to do a coral farming. Now, coral is an animal. It's not a plant, it's not an animal. The difference between us and coral is that we have the skeleton is in our body and the flesh is outside. Coral, the skeleton is outside and the yeah. flesh is inside. Mm. Ashton, what's an outside skeleton called? Remember from yesterday? No, oh, that, that, <laughs> that, 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 that this, 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 this bit didn't really work. That bit out. Okay. No, we were reading about exoskeletons and yeah. endoskeletons. Okay. So uh, the coral's got the exoskeleton, yes, yes. which means on the outside. So the, the hearts, okay. So corals is very important for all the marine uh, system. Now, you heard about bleaching. Yes. Okay. Bleaching is actually not the death of the coral. So all the hard corals, they're white. When you see a reef, yellow, red, orange, brownish, those colors, this is the color of the algae that lives on top of the coral. It's a symbiose. That algae lives on top of the coral, creates a sugar, and the, 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 the coral feed on that sugar. When the water is too warm, so coral grows between 20 and 30 degrees of water mainly the tropics or subtropical. If the climate change, too much CO2 in the atmosphere, creates warmer atmosphere, the water is too warm, goes to 31, 32 degrees, like every year in March. If this stays too long with that temperature, the algae dies, that gives the color to the coral. So the algae is gone, corals are white, that's why we call it bleaching, okay? I didn't know that. That's so really if interesting. So if the algae, if the water stay warm too long, like three, four weeks, the algae doesn't come back. From white, the coral will die. The coral cannot grow without the algae, and then the reef is dead. That's coral bleaching now. I remember when I became a diving instructor in 1988, coral bleaching was happening once every 20 years. You know, El Nino here, El Nino there, but now it's every year because of carbon emission from human activities. So, uh, Coral restoration, everywhere in the world, 
in Thailand, even today, in the Maldives, in the Caribbean, people do coral restoration. I've done a lot in the Maldives. What is coral restoration? If uh, you have a coral, okay, if a branch is broken because of a wave, of a boat, of somebody with the fins, that branch breaks, rolls on the sand near the beach. If it stays there, the coral will die. If you take it and you fix it with epoxy on a metallic structure or concrete structure in a lagoon, the coral on paper will continue to grow. That is coral restoration. Just with any old glue? Yeah. Doesn't epoxy, matter. glue, cable tie. Yeah, of course. As soon as it's attached to a fixed structure, it will continue to grow because it's limestone. Unfortunately, that... So in the Maldives, for example, you go to every resort, most of the resort, they have their dive center, their water sports center, and they have a marine biology center. And there, what they do, they do those little, um, you know, uh, Christmas tree structures in, yeah. in, in metallic, and they grow corals, and the people on holiday, they can adopt a coral, pay $100 every month, they send you the picture of your coral, and <laughs> so on. Now, if you ask the resorts, they will all say, yeah, it's work fantastic. Uh, then you ask the marine biologists working there and say, well, actually, no, every six months we replace the corals. Because actually, it's very difficult. Mm. Corals are super fragile. You take one from here, you put it here, it dies. It expels the polyp, it dies from stress. Uh, corals have a lot of predators. In the lagoon, when you grow your coral, if, if the water is too, too warm, it will bleach. You cannot control that. If there is pollution, in the water, you cannot control. There is a wave, you cannot control. Predators, parrotfish, feed on coral. coral. Damn you, you cannot stop the parrotfish to go feed on your little branch. Snail, feed on coral. Starfish, feed on coral. Yeah. So Urchins. in nature, you have a lot of predators that feed on coral. So because all this, it's extremely difficult to grow coral in the lagoon. If you go to an aquarium in Phuket, in Bangkok, in everywhere in the world, you go to an aquarium, you see all the big tanks with all the fish and the sharks and this, and you look at the corals, they're fake. They're all fake. It's mm. concrete and plastic. And if you ask the guy from the aquarium, they will tell you, of course, they're fake. No one can grow coral in, in captivity, except one place in the world, in Monaco, at the Institute Oceanographic of Monaco. The big aquarium in Monaco, that's the only place you can see live coral. Why okay. is that? So in Monaco, the Money. Professor Jobert, the director of the Monaco, who is Professor Jobert, a friend of mine, and he's on the board of my foundation, is a person that discovered 30 years ago how to grow coral in captivity. It's a pattern called micro-ocean. It's a system with sand layers. Now, in Monaco, if you go there every year, they have to expand the tanks because the coral is growing. Any kind of coral, soft coral, hard coral. So the idea I had is to make a coral farm on land. Now, because you are on land in a tank, you control the water quality, the water temperature, no bleaching, you don't put parrot fish, no predators, no waves, so it's the perfect condition. And the fact is, in Monaco, the corals are growing five times faster than in the sea. So there you put your little burnt of coral, you wait one or two years, it will go like this. From there, you relocate them in the well, ocean. Good. But can you relocate? You yes. say they're quite fragile, yeah. but you fragile. can. But the stronger they are, the better. And you can choose and calibrate. So, and the other thing is, what we want is that that coral farm become a tourist attraction. The same way the tourists go on the buses and go to see the orchid farm and the elephant sanctuary, they will be able to go at the PMBC, this is where we're building it, the coral farming and learn about it. Because ocean conservation is the most difficult thing. You know, there is today about 8 billion people diving. 8 million divers in the world and about 12 million snorkelers. So that gives you about 20 million people in the world that put a mask to see what's happening on the water. We are 8, 8 billion, it's less yeah. than 1%. So we have to convince 99% of the world population that the ocean needs to be saved. It's the most difficult it. job in the world. Plants, forests, bamboos, Amazon, everybody can, everybody loves it, you know? People think that the Amazon and the forests are the lungs of the planet. 70% of the oxygen we breathe come from the ocean, come from the plants in the ocean, not from the plants on land. 80% of the planet is water. There are more plants in the water than on land. And people still think the Amazon, Borneo, it's the lungs. No, that's not what has to be saved. The plants in the ocean are the ones who have to be saved. The one living on the coral and the seagrass and all this. So 
99% of the world population will never put a mask. Those people, they believe that the ocean, oh, it's liquid, it's blue, it's perfect, don't need to do anything. Those are the ones we need to convince. Now, a coral farm will bring those people on land, no need to go on the boat, and it's to learn about coral, that is not a rock, that is not a plant, that is an animal, why is it so, so difficult to breed, why is it so important? So the awareness will be there. Because if we want the awareness to be only for the one who put the mask, it's 1% of the world population. So that's why the coral farm is our main project. And you're modeling this for here in Phuket on yeah. what was existing in Monaco. So it's a collaboration with Monaco. Monaco brings a principality, Thailand being a, 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 with a king. And it, so there yeah. is a strong connection with this. And Professor Jobert is on the side of the, Prince Al, the foundation Prince Albert II of Monaco Foundation. So, so now, Professor Jobert was supposed to come last year in January, in February, just before COVID. Oh. So that project went on standby. Yeah. So now we have a, a designer which is designing the coral farming for us here in Phuket. Could Mary from M2 Plus? I don't know if you know. I her. know Mary. Yeah, She's yeah. the one designing the coral farming. And so as soon as the world opens up again, we will be able to restart, build it, and make it a reality. Phuket, the first place on earth with a coral farm on land to reproduce the coral to go in the sea. Well, I'm, I'm super excited. And you've got a question. Well, no, just um, what's next? What comes after that? Because it, it, I mean, it, it sounds phenomenal. So the amazing, thing, there's two things, actually three things in, in the coral farm project. Awareness, 99% of the world population will be able to go and learn. Put Phuket on the map of a place where for ecotourism, no one does that. Mm -hmm. And then in that place, okay, the, Coral grow very slow, a few millimeters per year. When you see a piece of coral like this in the sea alive, it took hundreds thousands of years to grow there. So we will not change the face of the world in terms of coral with a coral farm, okay? But the awareness. And then the other thing is that in that coral farm, because you created it, you can, what? You see, now the corals are dying at 31, 32 degrees. Mm -hmm. Nature always survives. Look at what happened to that. So in 50,000 years, coral will grow at 35 degrees. For sure. We know nature will always nature find will a way. Work it out. Yeah. Okay, now we will be dead because the moment where there is no more coral until they adapt to the new temperature, human will be gone, you know? 100% of life on Earth. 94% of all life on Earth is aquatic. 94% of all life on Earth is aquatic. Only 6% doesn't depend. So the oceans die, we die. Now, in the coral farm, where we will have marine biologists working, we can find and create and try to work out with a little bit more temperature in one special tank, a coral species. There is 700 species of corals in Thailand, in the Indian Ocean. One species that is stronger, that can stand it. The but this you cannot do in the lagoon. You cannot do on the natural environment. You yeah. have to do it on a tank. And this is what you can do on a coral farm. Just a quirky question for you. Yeah. In terms of having that facility here in Phuket, I, I totally buy into the value of it. I get it. It makes sense from an ecotourism point of view. Of brilliant. There's also a part of me that thinks, well, the people that are coming to Phuket, yes, they can go there and they can learn about it. But a lot of people that are coming here to somewhere like Phuket, are they, they, they want to come here for the beaches, the snorkeling, the of diving. Course, of course. So they are invested in, they're invested in the waters anyway. Of course. To a degree, mm. no pun intended. But as you've already said, it's they're not the people we're necessarily after. No, what because, we're after is you know, the other people that aren't coming. If, to if you're a diver, whatever I say now here, either you already know about it or you don't need a lot of conviction because as a diver, yeah. you will do whatever you can to save the sharks and the reef and this now. Is the non-divers who has to be convinced, which is 99% of the So the awareness is a lot more effective than the actual diving. So where do we take this project next? Next, we expand it. Next, we bring it to other place. We bring to, because the thing is that- Like setting some, for example, setting something like this up in Paris, London. Yes, exactly. Tucson, Arizona. Exactly. Places where you don't dive. The thing is that, the, it's all about the, when we do ocean conservation, we have, for example, seagrass nursery in this. It's not those 10 or 20 seeds of seagrass we plant that will change the planet. But the fact that because we plant those, 
with 20 people from that hotel, they will learn and they will tell their friend, which without this, they will never know about Correct. it. Yeah. So this is the exponential of awareness. Was, the awareness has to be online knowledge. If people don't know what's happening, they cannot help you. You have to tell them that is happening. So this is awareness is the, the only thing, education and awareness. Where do, you, where do you sit on the whole, how long do we have? Because I don't mean that in terms of our lives, don't, don't panic. But in terms of, oh, Russell, if you panicked. read any climate report that's come out in the last, there's one every couple of years and what have you. But they're all saying the same thing. We are at the tipping point. We're, yeah, we're, I mean, we're within. It's difficult. It's difficult because, uh, I mean, the planet uh, is not made to sustain, to sustain yes. 8 billion people. Now we're 8 billion and in 20 years will be 10 billion. There's it's, too many people. If people don't change in a moral way, we won't make it. I mean, if people want to keep their comfort first, you know, who wants changes? Yeah, who wants to change? Then no one says yes. So if in the end, we have to make an effort. We have to reduce our seafood consumption. You've seen seaspiracy. We have to reduce our uh, livestock. It's the only way. We have to have a plant-based diet to give a chance to nature Oh, David, you were doing so well. <laughs> you were doing so, so well. On the, the great part, I was so engaged with you, so <laughs> interested. Before you fire off on one, the issue I have, here's a question for both of you. And you might want to think about it for a second. What, what would happen in, we're in Bake, again, just for a change. What would happen if the fire alarm went off right now? If what? If the fire alarm went off in here right now, mm. what would happen? I'd be really annoyed because there's a lot of editing to do. <laughs> Personally. You say that in a joking way, but you're also quite serious. But no, I am think serious. about it, what would happen? Nothing. If the fire I'd alarm goes off, what would happen? I no. would do nothing. If the fire alarm in here goes off, people what would will happen? go out. Or you sure? Yeah, I think so. I wouldn't. I'd sit here and not move. No? I can tell you, we'd all look around. Yeah. Well, no one seems to be doing anything. We'd yeah. sit here and wait. Mm. Yeah. Okay, you the staff might come out and say, yeah, yeah. hey, we need to move yeah. out. Fine. Or we see smoke pouring out the kitchen, we're up and out. You have to see the smoke and fire before you move. Yeah, yeah. And you that is a problem with humanity. You to, yeah, yeah. You've got to see it and taste it. And that's off. why 99% of the population don't see it. You know, I was... Mate, well, 99% of the population are not affected, in yeah. quotes, by climate was, change. This morning I was in, in Tanyapura having breakfast. And uh, there was two gentlemen sitting next to me talking about... Uh, Rotary Club next function next week blah 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 and they're doing a super fundraising blah blah, blah for this organization taking food from restaurant bringing to the poor people I'm doing a talk and, they, and they were yeah. taking I, I was talking to them and this and they knew me hi David oh, how is he doing with the ocean I say well bad because of that he said what do you mean well as long as people will want to save the people first and not the ocean or nature it won't work yeah we don't produce oxygen the ocean produces oxygen that we need. My kids produce a lot of something, that's for <laughs> sure, because they did in the car on the way here. So, you know what I mean? So, it's difficult, you know, and I told them, I have the report from the government. There is 160-something foundation in Thailand, okay, non-profit like mine. Yeah. And there's one for the ocean. Two for, two oh, for the animals. Other, the other one, mm. they're all animals or people. So, yeah. you know, it, it's... I know it's something not really politically correct to say, but if you want to save the people, we have to save first the planet. It doesn't work the other way. Mm -hmm. No, I don't. I think that's, you have every right to say that, and there's a lot of people that I'm happy to get rid of, if you want. <laughs> yeah. I can name a if few right now. Choose. So, so yeah. it's, um, I'm not sure the first five on the list, though, might not make a big difference, <laughs> so but it's a start. Yeah. It's a start. So it's very tricky. You know, here, the hotel industry, they all have their own CSR uh, thing, and they give and they help kids to go education and the temples and the monks and the forest and this is all there and everybody comes on holiday here for one thing for the ocean and no one protects the ocean so oh but hold the on they do a beach cleanup every month or so <laughs> they get their plastic yeah. sheet to say we did a beach cleanup check us out that's well what really done fucks me off with yeah, the whole and, yeah. and okay so beach cleanup has it's two things we i do also with my foundation each year maybe two or three beach cleanup but the thing of beach cleanup, the first thing I say to the people when we do beach cleanup, the first thing, and they maybe hate me for that, I say, guys, what we're going to do today is useless. Tomorrow, there is the same amount. So basically, beach cleanup is like you arrive home at, in your kitchen. You arrive at home and you see water everywhere because the pipe broke. So your kitchen is flooded. So you have two things to do. 
you take the water out or you close the pipe. Yeah, yeah. Which one you do first? Yeah, yeah. You close the pipe. What we do, we take the water out. Yeah, yeah. As long as we keep producing single-use plastic, we can clean the beach every single day. Oh, so I, I'm with you on this. And the other difficult thing but, is, is... But oh. it's still important to go and clean the beach oh, no, absolutely. because cosmetic-wise, it's important for you and it's important to show the people that someone cares. And, and so I, that's important. And I think it's also it's good for the kids because I take my kids and we will then not just do it on the days of beach cleanup. Every time we go to a beach, mm. we take something back yeah. with us. So it's important. Now, the other thing I say to the people when we go do beach cleaning is something bad, but is on all the plastic produced in the world, only 5% is recyclable. Mm -hmm. All the plastic. 95% we can do anything about it. It will stay years and years and years and you can burn it, landfill it, but only 5%. And people think, that, oh yeah, let's collect. And no, only, only a few of those you can do something. So it's not a solution to collect and try to recycle. The solution is to stop producing. Yeah, and that's the big business and corporate. Yeah. And it's you, yeah. And it's we're going to struggle. We haven't even talked about tennis yet. <laughs> yeah. But in all fairness, I know yeah. you do run the Phuket. I'm just going to put it in there. You do run the Phuket Tennis League. And if you are interested in tennis, then we'll put the links below. Sure, I, sure. I'm just going to stick on the ocean sure, stuff, no problem. I think, because we've, 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 we've... I can see, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, rather than I, doing your question... Yeah, I was going to say, I'd yeah. rather not, to be honest with you. No, but what's the future for Oceans for yeah. All? So now we are building an eco-friendly coastal cleaner catamaran. So we have this project called License to Clean. So in Oceans <laughs> for All, I like yeah. that. in Oceans for All, we, we choose a war, okay? And the, the industry we choose to work with is the hospitality industry because that's my background. And because I believe that the hotel industry should be, could be for a very, very logical reason, I will tell you, should be the leader in ocean conservation. Because in every business, you have your expense and this, and you have your asset, okay? And in a business, your asset is usually what? Bring you the most money, but it's also your higher cost, mm -hmm. your asset. Now, in Phuket, in Bali, in the Maldives, in the Caribbean, here in Phuket, you have a hotel. You guess they come because you're on the sea. Yeah, they come from the entertainment, they come from the landscape, from the food, but the main reason is because there is a sea in Phuket. So that's your main asset. So as an hotel owner, I'm here, my guests, they swim, they kayak, they snorkel, they go on the boat every day. It costs me zero. That's my main asset, zero cost. When you're in Bangkok on the highway, you drive your car, mm. you go at the stop at the toll gate, put money in, they open, you go. That money is used to maintain the highway. There is no money used to maintain the ocean. There is no government in the world that force a hotel on the beach to spend part of their income to maintain the ocean. They clean the beach in the morning, they clean the garden, and that's it. So if there is one industry who should be the leader in ocean cleaning, it's the hotel industry. No one else. That's why I choose to make all the projects of Oceans for All, the uh, seagrass nursery, the catamaran cleaning, the shark brain, this with the hotel industry because they should be, they should take the lead. No one else have a better reason to protect the ocean than the hotel industry in the tropics. No, and you're right. And they do clean their beach right in front of their... And yeah, that's the and only that's bit they clean. And you can... I, I've walked along the beach and then, you know, a meter yeah, from their place is just piled of high course. of the rubbish they've just pulled to but one side. But somehow, why would they do differently? You know, it's all about profit and this. So they say, no. government doesn't it, force me to do anything. There is no law. I worked in the Caribbean and they had a, a, an incentive there which was adopt a kilometre. And every hotel had to take a kilometre of coastline, but it mm -hmm. wasn't allowed to be mm -hmm. in front of their resort. And then they were responsible okay. for going there. So and there is some things happening like mm -hmm. this now and there in the world and this, but... Needs more. Those things should come from the government, from yeah. the country who says the same way you have to pay your electricity bill, the yes. same way you have to pay for maintaining this and cleaning the reef and don't putting anchor, put eco-friendly anchors and all this. And no one does it because the ocean is to everybody, it belongs to everybody. So there's all the yachting industry, all the yachting industry in a place like Phuket, what do they do to clean the ocean? And that's the main, mm. the main thing. So that's why the hospitality industry should be the leader in ocean conservation more than any other, more than agriculture or fishing or whatever. The, the hotel industry has to be the one. Well, um, yeah, Mate, I could talk about this all day. No, we could. <laughs> and we're going to have to wrap Seriously. it up. All right.
David, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've really, Thanks, I've learned so much yeah. more about you, which I've, and I've always. This went a completely different way to where I thought it was going to go. But this has been brilliant. <laughs> and I'm really pleased brilliant. we didn't talk too much about tennis, to be fair, because I didn't have to. I like a spot of tennis. I didn't have to bring up my sore elbow <laughs> that I've got at the moment. Um, I'm going to put all the the links in the sure. in the podcast when we send yeah. it out. Yeah. Um, you know, and if anyone does want to get involved, sure. just search sure. Oceans for All. It's yeah, not yeah. a difficult thing. Yeah. Go and search, and then join it sure. and, and help us out. Thank oh, you, guys. David, thank, thank you for your time. Right. Really thank appreciate you it. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thanks, Russ. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, bye. Welcome to the outro. Hello, mate. Hi, Russell. How are you? I'm fine, mate. How how's, are you? How's your week been here? Where are we? We're at um, Casa del Canine 2. Should we... Um, we'll tell the people. The people. Oh, <laughs> the people. We'll tell the one listener. So many um, people. We're at your new house. We're at my Casa del Canine 2. It's very nice. It's a very nice new house. Here in the area that we call Laguna, just to let people know if you want to come and burgle it. Russell's got oh, very big that. dogs. I've got a little funny offside story for you. You want to tell a listener about no, your burgling I, I, story? I don't think. Were you a burglar? No, um, but I don't think this is a podcastable story. Should we get back to David so Martin? We, we can in a second. Oh, okay. I will tell you after the, we've recorded this, mm-hmm. and then we can make a decision as to whether we think it should be recorded or not. And if we do, we can insert it. But I'm not list- inserting nothing, <laughs> Russ. <laughs> if the listener doesn't hear an insert now, beep, then I guess the story wasn't podcastable. Anyway, back to David Martin. That's just adding loads of editing work for me. You're welcome. Um, very interesting, David. I didn't know. I've known him for some time, but I didn't know everything that he did. I didn't know anything. I didn't even know I used to play football with him. No, well, that's very true. Um, <laughs> What's a long time ago? To, to have film that he's done is that the right word done the stuff that he's done is amazing it is amazing and it's been i mean stuff on the blue planet that was one of my favorite series i look i had absolutely no idea about who he was or what he did you mentioned something about he does this you know oceans for all foundation but i knew nothing about it and i had no idea where that podcast was going to go and I, I think i said to you afterwards it was just it went in a completely different direction to how I thought it was going to go and how most of these podcasts go. Um, his story in and of itself for him was, was very interesting, but also very, I'm trying to, most people with their stories, it's, you know, I wanted to do this. I wanted, and there's, a, there's lots of chops and changes. From a young age, he knew I want to be underwater. That's what I want to do. Yeah. And that's pff, straight off and went and did it. And the story was interesting, but also the second part with everything he's done, A, with, with the foundation, his ridiculous knowledge of, of sharks and, and all of that. It's fascinating. And we didn't even touch on the whole coral no, theme park. Yeah. It's not a theme park, but the coral theme park that he's building is... So, uh, like an educational awareness centre, right? For I think theme better, park's a better theme word. Theme park's a better way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, roller coasters and... Could you roll a coaster on a bit? It would be sore, wouldn't it? You hurt your bum on a bit of coral. Coral sure. coaster. Uh, coral coaster. You I think you've just pulled it out of your... Yeah, yeah, that too. Mm. Um, but no, I mean, really fascinating. And again, once we started going down that particular road, we could have sat there for hours and talked about it. No, I, that, I, that was yeah. starting to get quite deep. And it's, but it's a, it's a really important discussion to have that people just aren't having. Well, I think, as he said, there's 99 problems in the world and they are the people that don't know about the oceans. Good yeah. name for the podcast, that. I had a better one. Did you? We, we mentioned it in the pod at some point. Oh, that means I have to go back and listen. <laughs> Which I do, listener, because I edit them all when I listen to the film. Anyway, no, I like David Martin. If you can support Oceans for All, then please do. Absolutely do. Uh, the link's in the description. Um, and yeah, I love the water. You love the water. You're a diver. I'm not so much of a diver. I'm more of a on top of the water but kind of guy. You are the shark. I am the shark, yes. Yeah. For very different reasons of why <laughs> I'm called a shark <laughs> yeah. and he is Again, the shark Again, speaking of not meister. podcastable... <laughs> I don't know. If people want to know why I'm called the shark, then they can ask. Um, no, I loved him. Thank you very much, David. Yeah, really, we got, really good. Uh, We've got some podcast. good ones lined up, actually, we do for the indeed. next few weeks as well. Not so that the ones before have been crap. Some should, of them have been. Some of them have been. We won't mention any names. Um, no, so no. We could, couldn't we, just to throw people under the bus? Why not? I'm not going to have them back. Steve, if you're listening. <laughs> Steve doesn't listen. <laughs> Steve doesn't listen. Bless him. I like your new house, Russell. Thank you very much. You're welcome anytime. Um, thank you very much. If you do want to pop around Russell's house, then it's... Um, <laughs> One the address one... map is in the, is in the description. Oh, I should do that because you yeah. sent me the link to it today. I could put that link in the description. That'd yeah. be nice, won't it? Everyone can come around and see exactly, your yeah. beautiful house with your lovely sofa, I may Casa add. Casa del Canine, too. I do like your sofa. So do I. It's very... Um, Talking point. 
Mmm, isn't it just? <laughs> right, I'll let the lady come in now and do all the bits that you used to do. Cool, thanks very much. Thanks for your time, Russell. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, bye. Bye. You want to tell me that story now before... No, I'll wait till you stop recording. No, 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 I want to hear it now. So, I told you about the WhatsApp He's group. still picking you up. So, I told no, you... No, put it down here. I'll edit it out if I need to. No, no, don't. Seriously, don't record this one. Um, Russell's asked me not to record this, <laughs> which means it's terrible, which means it's not no, going it's in. Not, the, it's, it's terrible, it's, which means it's, it's not going to be a podcast. No, just, I just wanted to say, I'm stopping now. <laughs> I've stopped it, Russ. Follow us on Facebook at Jail Shark and Friends, on Twitter at Phuket Podcast, on Instagram at Phuket Podcast. But the best place to go is PhuketPodcast.com. The Jail Shark and Friends and Russell podcast was created and produced by Shark 13 Productions. If you are looking to start a podcast or would like to learn more about how a podcast can work alongside your current marketing plans, then contact us now at j at shark13productions.com.